I can't imagine future without some sort of fossil fuels which are safe, which are reliable. Europe wants to build a lot of renewables. Unfortunately, the biggest demand is during winter when sun doesn't shine. This is Energy Cast, and I'm Jay Downhower. Today we're talking about the recent pivot in Europe back to coal. The war in Ukraine has choked off supplies of natural gas from Russia. As a result, many European countries who have sworn off coal as part of their portfolio are now being forced to import, mine, and resume power production from coal. This says a lot about our global energy priorities. Europe is practically unified in their quest to go carbon neutral by 2050. They've increased domestic renewable generation and decreased coal consumption, but they've also decommissioned carbon-free nuclear plants and swapped coal for Russian natural gas. This was already shaky policy before Russia crossed the border into Ukraine. Now it's unsustainable. My guest represents Europe's coal industry. He lists off at least half a dozen examples of these countries making a hard pivot back to coal in light of the crisis. Recently shuttered plants are resuming operation. Retired employees are being asked to come back to work. Europe was extremely lucky in a lot of ways. The coal industry had not been completely dismantled at the time of this crisis. But what would have happened if this had happened five or ten years from now, when all mining and power plants were completely offline? I've always been a strong proponent of coal's future. I've done several episodes where we explore more viable carbon capture and storage technologies and converting coal to gas. While my guest has no illusions about coal's future in Europe, this moment in human history begs the question, are we making the right choices when it comes to a balanced portfolio? It's worth exploring what coal's comeback means for our utility needs on both sides of the ocean. My guest today is Vladimir Budinsky, president of Eurocoal, the leading voice of the coal industry in Europe. Vladimir spoke from his home near Prague in the Czech Republic. I believe this may be my most distant guest to date, but it was fascinating to see how many similarities we share, especially when it comes to energy policy. And Vladimir and I ran the gamut of energy policy in Europe. The recent shift to coal is just a piece of the complicated interconnected thread, which surprisingly leads back to Russia in unexpected ways. It turns out that the Russian crisis also affects Europe's nuclear and coal supplies, as well as oil and gas. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Vladimir Budinsky. with Vladimir Budinsky, president of Eurocoal. And Vladimir, we would assume coal has been on the decline in Europe, but the crisis in Ukraine has many countries in Europe now talking about restarting coal plants, using more coal, at least in the interim. What can you tell us about that? What's been going on over there? Europe is very much different. The biggest coal-consuming country is Germany, which has the biggest fleet of coal plants in Europe. 34 gigawatts of installed capacity in 2020 
2021. And since 2017, the German utilities have been closing and some of them most belling plants, putting them in the strategic reserve before the final closure. But now, with the current crisis, because Germany is in real crisis, because at the same moment they are closing nuclear plants and they are closing coal plants. And this brings them very difficult situation because the former German strategy was to switch to natural gas. They built Nord Stream 1 and they built Nord Stream 2 and they thought that they will replace nuclear electricity and coal electricity with gas and renewables, of course. So now Germany plans to bring back 10 gigawatts of mainly coal and lignite plants. At the same time, coal and lignite burn at still operating plants. It's increasing their output. So lignite mines and power plants are recruiting hundreds of people and they are calling some already retired people back to job. Other countries who use coal is Poland, Romania, Bulgaria and my country, Czech Republic. And they are relying on coal and lignite and they are mining whatever they can. For example, our Czech lignite mines at this summertime, they are running on full speed and they have the same output which they usually have during winter. Demand for coal is now very high. The good example of situation in Europe is that France, which had closed their coal power plants, and even Austria, they are cancelling the plans to close them and uh, call them back to operation. In Italy, the coal plants are running hard, already converted some oil power plants to coal power plants. It happened between years 2000 and 2015. They are in good shape. And in UK, the government is negotiating with coal plant owners to run plants beyond their scheduled closure dates. So usually the governments, they continue saying that this is a temporary. They stick with the coal phase-out dates, but actual reality is different. They are burning more coal and they are employing already closed and stopped power station. So all countries in Europe are now moving the same direction because there is a big fear what will happen during coming winter and coal is one of the temporary solutions. And I underline the word temporary because we still think that this may finish when war stops and supply of gas will be renewed. This is the situation in Europe. Thank you for that. Vladimir, I think people may be scratching their heads a little bit. There were coal plants available that they weren't using, or maybe they were recently shut down. It sounds like there was a lot of capacity around that we're calling back on, as well as coal that was being mined. So what was the situation there? You were able to just fire back up coal plants that weren't being used? In some countries, the old power station were sent to reserve, so it was possible to operate them. In some countries, the power station were destroyed. It is possible to renew operation of some of them, not all of them. Right. And so you talk about where this is all going to lead. I think you mentioned this. I would assume European leaders believe this is a temporary fix until the Ukrainian crisis can be resolved. But do you think that some of this coal use might be more permanent? Do you think that there might be an opportunity to maybe have a little bit of newfound respect for coal if it's done right? And what about things like carbon capture? 
Well, carbon capture was popular several years ago. Yeah, this this was interesting issue. Some EU countries invested a lot of money into some carbon capture projects, but around 2013, the power industry and the politicians they lost interest, and some big projects were cancelled, like Yenishwalde in Germany, which was the largest project because they didn't achieve public agreement with storage. So at this moment, TCS as a storage at the end is not possible because it is not allowed to store CO2 underground. Other issue is storing under the sea where only Norway is involved and there is more discussion about CCUS and use of CO2 for industry. But in Europe, everything is at the beginning. I was a couple years Years ago in Texas, I have visited the Laporte project of Alam Cycle. It looked very promising. This is a new technology, gas turbine. The medium is not steam, but it's CO2. Another issue, if you speak about retrofit, you want to add some new technology to coal power station. But because we have maybe decade of making coal power stations problematic, there was no new investment and most current power stations and it is very difficult to add CCS retrofit to power station with lower efficiency. So this is the problem of Europe, very much different from Japan and other Asian countries where coal is not prohibited and they invest into the latest technology. You were mentioning the Alum Cycle project in Houston. That's Net Power. It's small world. I actually interviewed the head of that group in North Carolina where I live about three years ago. So <laughs> I've never seen the facility in Houston, but we're talking about the same thing, I believe. Yeah, yeah, but I haven't seen any progress, any other use. So I am afraid that this is still in some development phase. I believe it is. So assuming that this issue goes on indefinitely in Ukraine, and I think there was some recent news as we speak that the Nord Stream 1 pipeline wasn't pumping gas. They said, I think they were doing it for maintenance reasons, but you just never know. I mean, this situation in Ukraine could go on for a very long time. It also seems that Vladimir Putin's getting richer right now, almost a perverted way there with the oil and gas embargoes. He's still somehow making more money. The longer this goes on, you're going to continue using coal. Where do you think this is going to lead? It's very difficult to predict. We are thinking now about coming winter. As you said, the Nord Stream 2 has closed. It was not even started its operation. And Nord Stream 1 now delivers 20% of normal capacity, which is not even sufficient for summer consumption. It's very difficult for European countries who are dependent on Russian gas to fill storage. And everyone is afraid of winter. In Germany, they are starting a process of reducing consumption. They are closing swimming pools. They are stopping lighting of public buildings and so on. And there is real fear what happens during this winter. No one expects this will finish this year, but of course, one day it has to stop. This war, every war stops. So... Right. Yeah. Vladimir, what about coal to liquids and coal to gas? For a lot of the public, I'm sure in Europe, the idea of firing up coal power plants is not the best picture, but things like coal to liquids, coal to gas may be more palpable. Has there been any talk about that? 
Yes, coal to liquids existed here in Europe during Second World War because Germans didn't have access to oil fields except of Romania and they developed several technologies for producing fuels from coal but it was always very expensive and still the area of liquid fuel, the oil is not replaceable. However, in Germany is now lots of political talks of producing Using synthetic fuels which will not have emissions but coal is not a part of that probably will be produced from some bioproducts the production of liquid fuels from coal is difficult to imagine because all European countries are announcing phase out of coal, which means that they will first phase out coal mining. By this moment, there is almost only a single country in Europe which has hard coal mining and it's Poland. Rest of the countries, they produce only lignite. However, this German technology from the Second World War was based on lignite. But it was a specific lignite, very high quality, which at this moment doesn't exist. We have only lignite this local calorific value which is used for power stations. This is no option for your coal to liquids, coal to gas. In my country, we have closed a single operation coal to gas because of high costs. We transform this operation into natural gas and <laughs> After some months, the natural gas is now so expensive that it has even higher costs than lignite. So coal is really under big pressure and coal is leaving Europe. Unfortunately, I must say that I regret that. Yeah. Vladimir, how much coal is there in Europe? Is it enough to ultimately be sustainable or energy independent, or at least for the time being? They are. In Europe, there are huge coal reserves. It's possibly 30 to 40 billion tons of reserves, which are already found, and they are much higher resources because there are some locality coal is but it is not economical to use them it's high sulfur content or something making them difficult to use so europe has coal for 150 200 years and if we count resources it may be thousand but yes europe should be totally energy independent but density of population is very high the local political activities who protest against mining. Yes, we need energy, but it has to be produced somewhere else. Leads to the situation that it is not possible to open new mines, that existing mines are limited, made smaller and smaller, new fields are not opened, and that's the process which started in eastern part of Europe in the 90s, in western part of Europe it started end of 50s, beginning of 60s. So this is this environmental groups which started fight coal and then they started fight nuclear and interesting is that at this moment in Germany environmentalists fight against wind energy. They argue that they are being birds and bats killed. <laughs> These protesters they will always find new enemies. They do that everywhere. <laughs> so, everywhere yeah. in the democracy, yes. Where is the yeah. democracy in this situation? Yes. That's right. What do they want? You mentioned how the Western part of Europe was getting away forward coal earlier than 
in the eastern part. I assume it might have been what we call the Eastern Bloc, right? Seems like that divide was probably around there. We know that Europe isn't the same. You mentioned Poland and Czech Republic, much like there are states here in the United States that can be very different politically. Are there countries in the EU that are more friendly and open to giving coal a second look as we're seeing now? I think you touched on that just a little bit. Yes, I did. I mentioned Poland because, for example, in Czech Republic, the coal industry was privatized. For private companies, it's more difficult to fight with the protesters and with the environmental activities. But in Poland, the industry sector remained in the state hands and more than 70% of the Polish electricity comes from coal, mostly hard coal. And Poland as a country is very much dependent on coal in domestic heating. At this moment in Poland, it's very difficult to buy coal for coming winter because they ban coal imports from Russia. And it is huge demand on coal, especially for high quality coal, which can be used in domestic heating stoves and so on. So Poland is the coal country. Vladimir, why is Poland like that, I guess? You know, it seems to me that Poland really is beating to a different drum than the rest of Europe. I think I even read somewhere that Poland was considering fracking for natural gas, which is, I think, unheard of in Europe. But why do you think Poland has such a everything, everywhere, all the time approach to energy, where I think that a lot of the other European countries are much more restrictive? Poland has big resources of both hard coal and lignite. There are big deposits. And in the past, it was advantage of Poland. You may remember that during the strikes of British coal miners uh, during Margaret Thatcher government, Poland supplied United Kingdom with coal. The communists, it was not high solidarity with the workers on the western side of Iron Curtain. But yes, Poland has a big deposits. Poland didn't have and doesn't have a nuclear power plant. In all former eastern countries, Russians build any nuclear power plant. We have in Czech Republic nuclear power plant. Slovakia has, Hungary has, Romania has a French because Romania was always something different. But Poland was always considered by Russians an unsafe place and they didn't give Polish communists the nuclear technology. So Poland is dependent on coal very much. In the last years, they built renewables because they they have a Baltic sea coast and they have intention to build a nuclear. Poland wants to buy nuclear probably from US because Poland is the biggest US ally at this moment, I, I would say. They are buying F-35s, they are buying Abrams tanks, they wish to have an American military base in Poland. They are very much oriented to the United States and I believe that they want to have an American nuclear power plant. In 2050, Europe must be carbon neutral, which means there will be no burning of fossil fuels. So the Polish energy strategy says we will use coal until 2049. It's a clever number. <laughs> 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 yeah. And look, there are utilities all over the world. In the United States, they have a lot of 2050 carbon neutrality plans. And I think that a lot of that it was announced. And I think now they're trying to work toward exactly what will that look like, right? I don't think they necessarily had the plan on the day they announced that pledge, right? 
Speaking of that, there's this perception that nations can go 100% renewable or 100% carbon free. You look at Germany where they close the nuclear plants. Where does fossil fit in the portfolio and how do you make it net zero carbon? I mean, you're going to have to have some version of fossil energy even after 2050. Yes, yes, definitely. There must be some. I believe in the next 10 years, coal will have a good time in Europe because Europe now invests a lot of money into new gas infrastructure. They want to build uh, ports, they want to build terminals, they want to build additional pipelines to diverse from Russian imports to LNG and maybe imports from Norway and so on. What I think that gas has much lower emissions than coal, it will be possible to use, as we mentioned, some CCU technologies to clean up the gas. But as I'm engineer, I can't imagine future without some sort of fossil fuels which are safe, which are reliable, because Europe wants to build a lot of renewables. Unfortunately, the biggest demand on energy is during winter when sun doesn't shine. The advantage of wind is that usually winds are more common in winters, but they don't blow always. So some gas capacity will be needed and many countries are coming back to nuclear. My country, for example, as it is in the middle of Europe, we have no sea. Our country is surrounded with the mountains. So wind energy and solar energy is not solution for us. We will have between 20 and 30 percent renewables share. But rest must be conventional and that will be mostly nuclear and some gas. Except some exemptions like our government or French government. But they are very strong opponents in Austria, in Luxembourg, which want to go to court with European proposal that nuclear energy is carbon free. And they protest that it's maybe carbon free, but it's not sustainable. <laughs> yeah. Going back to the nuclear issue, you mentioned that a lot of the countries in Eastern Europe were built by Russians. Are they still using Russian fuel? That was an issue that came up a few episodes back about Ukraine's nuclear fleet. I think that half of the nuclear plants in Ukraine were refitted with Westinghouse fuel assemblies. What about Eastern Europe? Are they still on a Russian system? Some of them are on Russian system. You can see that there is a ban of Russian transport aircrafts loaded with nuclear fuel are allowed to come to Hungary, Slovakia, even the Czech Republic. Because at this moment, we still have in our power stations Russian fuel, but new contracts has been signed and future after two years because if you decide to change nuclear fuel you have new one after two years it's some process it takes time after two years we will have a Westinghouse fuel for Temelin but there are some reactors it has 440 megawatts and there is no Westinghouse fuel for such a reactors yet but they are developing that and they surely will have it because the same rule that Russian gas, Russian coal must be replaced, the same rule that Russian nuclear fuel. So yes, there is a big opportunity for Western nuclear companies, uh, Eastern European power stations, the Western nuclear fuel. 
Right. That sounds like a colossal national security risk. And I think it's something that I don't think we've heard very much about this idea that the nuclear fuel in a lot of European power plants is supplied. And I think the waste is also managed by the Russians. And that was yeah, an issue that they were having in Ukraine. The advantage of Russian fuel is that they take out all the waste. Of course, we have some interim storage because when it is used, it's used only from a very small percentage. And the new technologies, the future technologies which will come, the more advanced reactors will be able to use it. So not all fuel is transported back to Russia. Some of that used fuel remains here for future use. It's a benefit to use Russian fuel because they take it away until they don't take it away, right? <laughs> yes, yes. The bad parts they take away because <laughs> the nuclear technology has some relations with the military technology and those countries which don't have a nuclear bombs, they don't have that advanced technology. So even we have some nuclear scientists and we are very much advanced, we don't have a technology to produce nuclear fuel and we in the country still have no possibility to use the nuclear waste. Does Europe import any coal? I hear Australia exports a lot of coal. Does Europe supplement their coal use from any other countries outside of Europe? Yes, yes, of course. Last year, the imports were 106 million tons and domestic production was 57. So Europe imports two times more than produces. And as I said, the production, this is for the whole Europe, including Ukraine and Turkey. Where's most of that imported coal coming from? Different places. In the past, it was mostly Colombia, South Africa, United States. But in the last years, Russia dominated. So the most of these imports, maybe something close to half, was from Russia because it's <laughs> a railway connection and the transport was very easy, very cheap. And Russian policy was to sell cheap coal. One of these aspects was all these sanctions, which made uh, Russian rubble very low and the domestic cost for, for mining for them was very low and the export was profitable for Russia. So now it will change and of course there are different kinds of coal so you need different coal for steel production and different coal for heating but the western direction now dominates so it's Australia. Europe now tries to buy all available coal possible because they want to increase stocks before winter. Right. I was going, oh my goodness, we're back to Russia again. <laughs> but yes, it sounds to me that it's easier maybe to pivot your coal imports to maybe a safer country than oil and gas imports, right? Yes, of course, because if you're on a pipeline, it's difficult to switch. But if you use a railway or ports, it's much easier to switch. And of course, coal has advantage that the transport is easy. Right. Another energy resources, transport is easy and coal is available from free and democratic countries. So it's not a problem to import coal. And oh. Price will be a problem because as we have now real records, this week we have a price record on gas. One megawatt hour in gas 
cost 200 euros. And of course, the coal price is expensive as well. The coal prices are attacking 400 dollars per ton. It was 62 years ago. Mm. Vladimir, I try to make these episodes as evergreen as possible. So we're going to date ourselves by making predictions. But being in the Czech Republic and on the eastern side, how do you see the Ukraine situation resolving itself? Does Europe just go back to buying oil and gas from Vladimir Putin the same as before? Do we give up? This is really difficult. There are much smarter people who can do it. But I believe that it will never go back as it was. Europeans will remember the situation and they will not be that dependent on Russia as they were before. But of course, one day Putin will finish, there will be another government. And as the infrastructure exists, I think that some business and trade relationship with Russia will be restored because Russia is a big market. They have nothing else to use for the business than natural resources. And Europe is industrial, so Europe wants to exchange the industrial products for natural resources. So I think this need will lead to the situation that the business will be restored. But European countries will never be so much dependent because at this moment, Germany is 100% dependent on Russian gas. Czech Republic is 100% dependent on Russian gas. And it is not possible to have this situation back again. So that will change. Right. And so finally, has there been any change in the perception of, quote, green energy and the role fossil fuels still play? And you always feel like you have to combine fossil fuels and and nuclear, you know, versus green energy, right? I think that's unfair. In the United States, I feel like the results have been mixed. I mean, you'll see for yourself, we're paying record prices for gasoline. People clearly understand there's an energy crisis, and yet there's other people who are talking about advancing climate change legislation at the same time. So what's been the temperature in Europe? Where are they on this practical need for energy versus the aspirational need to convert to entirely green energy? Well, it depends on the position. The politicians who are in Brussels, it's comparable with your politicians who are in Washington, D.C., who are somehow divided or too far from real people. Members of European Parliament and European Commission and these Brussels bureaucrats, they still stick on European Green Deal, Fit 455, and all this religion they built, this green religion is still valid. And definitely this winter... And the autumn will show because the high prices of energy are killing European industry. And it will bring big problems to European citizens because some companies, some industries will be shut down. People will be unemployed. They will have no money for paying such a high energy bills. And maybe in a couple of months, in half a year or in one year, there will be bigger opposition because I feel it on the local level, on the national level or people from industry, there is a big criticism against these green strategies and green policies. But still people don't want to say it loudly because the activists, the media and all these social networks, they are still on a green wave. So people need to suffer first and then <laughs> after they feel the coldness, <laughs> they will start to find some heating 
or some energy resource. At this moment, we have big hots. There is a summer, many people have their holidays and people don't want even think about the bad things. But in September, in October, when the weather changes and the first invoices for high electricity prices come to their homes and their bosses will tell them, hey, we need to quit your job because energy is too high, then they'll start the real, real, real situation. It's tragic that we have to get to this point to realize maybe our priorities in energy, but very fascinating observations here. All right. Vladimir Budinsky, President Eurocol, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much and God bless you because we in Europe, we are very much dependent on the United States and we believe that LNG from the United States and American nuclear technologies will help Europe to overcome this energy problem. We need more America and less Russia. That was Vladimir Budinsky, president of Eurocoal, the group representing Europe's coal industry. Vladimir's knowledge led me to chase down more information on the nuclear issue in particular. According to a study by the NCO Friends of the Earth Germany, Europe gets 40% of its nuclear fuel from Russia or Kazakhstan, which power 19 of these Russian-designed plants. Just like we discussed back in episode 134, Western suppliers like Westinghouse can swap their fuel or even design new fuel to fit but that can take a few years. I want to thank Vladimir for his time, as well as Brian Ricketts for setting this up. Turns out I still had an email from Brian from 14 years ago when he was helping me get some information on carbon capture facilities. You can find plenty of pictures for this episode on Energy-Cast, as well as on Instagram at Host Energy and Twitter at Host Energy Cast. All guests are sent the raw and completed audio the week of release. So far, no complaints. Be sure to leave us a positive review on iTunes. That gets the word out. Music was produced by Sean Stroop at Stroop Loops. That wraps up episode 145. Be sure to join us next week when we learn what's really behind high gas prices. Until then, I'm Jay Dallenhauer. We'll see you next time.